So today we are going to be reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we've been here at RCL in a series looking at the book of Acts, and we're asking the question, what makes the church alive? What was it about the church in the book of Acts that helped it to be such a vibrant and impactful church in its city and community? And in the passage you just read, if you look down with me to verse 47, you see that this church, this first Christian church, was alive. The text says, the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. This church was a growing church. This church was a church in which people were connecting to the community and were being saved. That's just a way of saying they're becoming Christians. They're placing faith in Jesus Christ. And that's interesting because I think if we're honest, for many of us, maybe many of you, church hasn't helped your faith. Church sometimes is a place that hurts our faith. Church can be a place that distracts us from Jesus so often. And yet there was something about this church, this community, that was so beautiful, it was so compelling, it was so attractive in their city that every day more and more people were saying, we want to be a part of that. And we want to know the God that you're following. Now that's what I want. That's what I think many of you want. We want Reality Church London to be a community, a church, that helps people know Jesus Christ. We wanna be a church in this city that points to God and makes the love of Jesus known and accessible. Acts chapter two tells us about a church that did just that. And so we need to look at this passage if we're gonna learn what it means to continue to be a church that makes Jesus known in our city. Now, I wanna say off the bat that there's so many things in these verses and we're not gonna cover all of them today. So for example, we could talk about how the church as shown in these verses has a radical commitment to serve the city. They were selfless in serving others, but we're gonna talk about that tomorrow night at the equip class. So I'm not gonna talk about that this morning. We could talk about the way in which this church had an unshakable devotion to walking in the way of Jesus. They were committed to practices that would shape the Christian's life but we're not gonna talk about that today. We're talking about that in the Sundays to come, the practices that shape you. But here's what I want us to focus on today looking at these verses. This church, one of the reasons why it was so powerful in its witness, one of the reasons why it was so attractive to the city that it was a part of, was because this church formed a unique kind of human community that the world had never experienced. And it was this beautiful, unique human community in the church that was itself a powerful witness to the city and to the world. And people said, we wanna be a part of that. And that's what I want us to focus on today. What kind of community must we be 
if we're gonna be a community that shows London the beauty of the gospel. So when we look at Acts chapter two, there are three things that we see about this community that I hope will be true of us. It was a diverse community, it was a family, and it was a diverse family that sat together at the table. If those things are true of us, we're gonna be a kind of church in this city that makes Jesus known. A diverse community, a family that sits together at the table. So let's take a look. First, what do we learn from this passage about the fact that the church is diverse? Well, here in Acts 2, you see verses like verse 42. It says they were themselves together. A little bit later, it says they have everything in common. And the question that we have to ask is, well, who's here? You know, who's in the church? And what we don't see in verses 42 through 47, we actually learn about earlier in Acts 2. Now, we covered this many weeks ago, so I'll be brief on this point. But early in Acts 2, as the church is being born, as this first Christian church arises, we're told that Jerusalem, the city that this is all happening in, was filled with people from all over the world, people from every place on the planet had come together to Jerusalem to be part of what was happening in that city. And it was in that moment that the Spirit of God came down and the church was born. Say, why does that matter? Because the first Christian church was incredibly diverse. It was made up of people who were ethnically different. It was made up of people who were culturally different. They came from different places. They spoke different languages. They had different ideologies and different cultural backgrounds. And yet they came together in the church. The church is diverse. But not just diverse, or not just to say that they're different, as important as that is, but they're also reconciled. That is, all this difference comes together, and now these people who were deeply different are sharing life together. So if you look down at verse 44, it says they're together and they have everything in common. What Luke, the author, is describing is a group of people who, when you look at them, they look really different. And yet they live together like a family. We'll get to that in just a minute. They're reconciled. They're sharing everything. And that is part of its witness. When people come together who are deeply different, it shows forth to the city the possible healing power of the gospel. I've used this example before, but it's too good. I have to use it again. Years ago, there was a community group in our church, and that particular community group was made up of people who were really different, ethnically different, racially different, culturally different. There was different genders. There were different income levels represented in that group. Normally, that small group would meet in a person's flat, but on this particular occasion, they decided to go and share a meal in a restaurant out in the city. So they're there eating together, and someone from another table, a stranger, someone that this group didn't know, comes over mid-meal and says, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but I have to ask, how is it that you all know each other? And what this person, as she came over to the table, was saying was, you guys don't look like you should have anything in common. And yet you're living together, you're eating together, you're laughing together like you're a family. What is the reason for this? What can explain this unity amidst diversity? This oneness, even though you don't have sameness. This difference without division. What's the explanation for that? And of course, they were able to say, well, we are loved by Jesus Christ. And that's what's brought us together. Don Carson, who's a biblical scholar, 
describes it this way. What brings Christians together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they've been loved by Jesus himself. They're a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. That's the community here in Acts 2. People who otherwise would have had nothing to do with each other coming into the church because they've been loved by Jesus Christ and doing life together. And when that happened, it was a powerful witness to the watching world, hey, something's at work in that community that reconciles, that brings people together. It was the gospel. That's the first thing. Why was this church so fruitful and effective? It was a diverse community. But second, and where we're gonna spend the bulk of our time together this morning, not only was this church diverse, but they lived together as a family. The church lived together as a family. If you were to ask me, Bishan, what's one word that you would use to describe the church? I mean, that'd be very difficult to do. But if you really pressed me on it, I'd say family. If I had one word to describe what a church is meant to be, the word I would have to choose is family. Why? Well, let's be honest. Oftentimes, family is really messy. Maybe you're part of a family that's a little bit messy. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Who isn't? But what is family? Yes, it can be messy, but family is also the place that you belong. It's the people that belong to you and the people you belong to. It's a place of belonging. It's a place where even in the midst of the mess and the hardship, you know, this is where I belong. And what Acts 2 goes on to show us is the church is not a club. The church isn't a team. The church isn't a group of colleagues at work. The church is a family. And you see that in verse 42. You see the word there, fellowship? That's a really hard word to translate from Greek into English. It's difficult to communicate the fullness of that word in the Greek. But what it literally means is sharing all of life together. That's what it means to have fellowship. It means you share your whole life with someone else. That's fellowship. And that fellowship is amplified further if you look down in the passage verses 44 and 45 it says all the believers were together and they had everything in common they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need now we're going to talk more about generosity next week we're going to unpack that idea further but what you see basically in acts 2 the church that's being described is a community of people who come together as a family they share everything they stand with each other, they support each other, they have each other's back. Why does that matter? If our church can live into and live out this vision that we're a family, that we are brothers and sisters truly, that we stand with each other and that we have each other's back, it's gonna be an incredibly compelling witness in our city because, and especially here, many of you know, many of you experience, that London is one of the loneliest cities in the world. In fact, London consistently ranks number one in loneliest cities in any global survey that's conducted on the subject. And the loneliness that's present in our city is not just the kind of loneliness that says, oh, it's Friday night and I don't have anybody to hang out with. I mean, that's hard. But the loneliness that many of us feel is even deeper. 
It's this kind of loneliness where you don't feel like you're actually seen and loved for who you are. So we're surrounded by people all the time and you might have a lot of acquaintances and people that you hang out with, but you don't feel seen, you don't feel safe, you don't feel loved. London is one of the loneliest cities in the world. And yet God has given here in Acts 2 a picture of a church in which the people in that community relate to each other, not like acquaintances, not like club members, but like a family. And what's a family supposed to be? Well, if you think about it, a healthy, good family is a place where you're supposed to be fully seen. I mean, your family knows you better than anyone else knows you. Fully seen, and yet at the same time, totally loved. You're seen with all of your imperfections, all of your weaknesses, all of your flaws, and yet you're loved for who you are. That's what a family is supposed to be. Now, many of our families aren't like that. But that's what a family's supposed to be. And what you have here in Acts 2 in the Bible is a picture of the church that says that's the family of God. A place where you should be able to be both fully seen and fully loved. Now, what does that mean in practice? Well, it means that churches should be places of both vulnerability and safety. The church should be a place where it's safe to be vulnerable. So let's talk for a second about vulnerability. Vulnerability is the ability to have need expressed. It's the ability, as you see there in verse 45, there were needs in the community. There were practical needs, there were emotional needs, and the church was a place in which it was safe to bring those needs to others. So when you would show up at church, you didn't have to pretend. You didn't have to put a mask on and pretend like everything is okay and I'm perfect and everything's great and I'm crushing it in the city and my rent's not that expensive. You could say, this is really hard and these are my needs and these are my flaws and these are my weaknesses. The church was a place where it was safe to be vulnerable, to bring all of your weaknesses. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of you know, German pastor during World War II, he has a great, great book on community called Life Together. And many of the themes that we're talking about this morning are in that book. But Bonhoeffer at one spot talks about how vulnerability is actually such an important part of the Christian community. And he says at one spot in the book, he says, I don't understand churches where it's not safe to be a sinner. I don't understand churches where you always have a mask on and everybody shows up and pretends to be perfect. Because he says that church doesn't know anything about the gospel. Because if the church that you're part of is centered on the gospel, what that means is it should first and foremost expose our weakness, expose our sin. Because that's what the gospel does. It exposes the fact that we need help. We need saving. There's something inside of us that's not as it should be and needs redemption. And so if we're a gospel-centered church, that means we should be a broken, vulnerable church confronted by the reality of our imperfections. Bonhoeffer says in his book, the fact is we are sinners. And so the grace of the gospel, which is so hard for the religious, he's using that pejoratively, the religious to understand is that it confronts us with the truth that you are a sinner, a great and desperate sinner. So Bonhoeffer says, so come as the sinner you are to a God who loves you. He wants you as you are. You can hide nothing from God. The mask that you wear before other people will do you no good before him. He wants to see you as you are. He wants to be gracious to you. 
You don't have to go on lying to yourself and to your brothers and sisters as if you were without sin. Here in the church, you can dare to be a sinner. That's the community that's shaped by the gospel. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to admit weakness. It's okay to say, the mask's off. Look, I don't have it as together as I would like. And it's safe to do that. And at the same time, the reason why that safety is there is also because of the gospel. You see, the gospel says on one hand, yeah, you're, you're a sinner. You're, you're filled with selfishness. You're not what you should be. But on the other hand, the gospel says, but you're so loved that the Lord Jesus Christ was glad to die for you. Your sin was so bad he had to die for you, but you were so loved he was glad to do it. And what the gospel does is it both humbles us, you're seen to the bottom, and also it says you are affirmed and loved to the sky because the Lord Jesus Christ was glad to die for you. And see, what the gospel does is it provides the safety we need to be a vulnerable community. And so the church here in Acts, the church that we could be part of, is a church that's so shaped by the gospel that it's safe to be vulnerable. It's safe to be broken. So let me tie all this together. Here in this first Christian church, what you have is a group of people who come together like a family. And what's so compelling and attractive is not only is it a diverse community, but it's a community where it's safe to be yourself. You're loved as you are, and we stand with and support each other as we grow. And so here's the question then, kind of a point of application. If you're here today and you're lonely, I mean that in a basic way, like, yeah, you could use more friends, or in a profound way, like you don't feel like anyone sees you, then allow this church to become your family. Many of you come to London from somewhere else. That's part of what it means to be in a transient city, a big city. People come from somewhere and they leave friends, they leave family. This church is meant to be a family for us. So if you're here today and you're lonely, I know Christian community can be hard. Like any family, our church is not perfect. There's a mess sometimes. But we're a family. So the invitation for any of you, if you'd say, yeah, that that kind of describes me, plunge in, take that step, and let us know how we can help. And second, if you're here today, and you would say, this is my church, I'm really committed, I serve, I love it here, then my question for you is, how are you helping others feel at home at Reality Church London? How do we constantly look outside of ourselves to extend the welcome of Jesus to people who are new, to people who are hurting, to people who are on the outside? This is what the gospel does. A diverse community that lives together like a family. And what's the power for it all? Well, they sat together at the table. This is where we're going to end our sermon. They sat together at the table. It's an amazing thing to me that whenever you see Jesus and whenever you see the church in the book of Acts, one of the most frequent things that they're doing is eating. Jesus' famous place, his most favorite place for pastoral care is the table. When God wants to make a point, he brings people to the table. Why? Because when you sit together at a table with someone, you're experiencing intimacy. You're experiencing familial closeness. And you know that. If there are people in your life that you love deeply, your family, maybe a group of friends, you know that there's almost nothing better than sitting together at the table. When you sit together with people that you love and people who love you and you eat together, for a split second, you feel like everything's okay in the world. You know, even if it's not, 
Even if work is terrible, even if you're short on money, even if you're concerned about wars, even if you're afraid of COVID, if you're with people that you love and you feel safe in that moment, you almost forget about everything that's bothering you and you have a taste of heaven. That's what happens at the table. And the church, look at the text. Verse 42, they broke bread together. Verse 46, they were eating, breaking bread in their homes with glad and sincere hearts. I mean, this is an eating church. I feel like it should be one of our values. We're an eating church. Why? Because they're practicing what it means to be a family when they sit at the table. And so, part of what we do is we share life. We share food. We share coffee. But there's something even more profound than that. Because when you look at verse 42 carefully, it says the breaking of bread. Not just breaking bread, but the breaking of bread. And that definite article is actually really significant. It's a reference to communion. It's a reference to the Lord's Supper. It's a reference to what we're about to do in just a minute as we celebrate communion together. And what we're learning from Acts 2, the reason, the power, the the, the way in which this church was able to really live together as a family was because over and over again, they celebrated the Lord's Supper. They ate the meal that God gave them to be nourished in their spiritual life. And we're gonna do that in just a moment. Because when you think about it, Jesus, on the night before his death, he says to his followers, eat this meal to remember me. It's the only thing that Jesus said, I want you to do this often in remembrance of me. Because what happens when we take the bread and we take the cup and we hold it in our hands, we have a tangible reminder of the love of Jesus for us that he demonstrated when he died on the cross. What happened when Jesus died? I mean, think about it. We want to be part of a community We want to experience family in the city. But Jesus on the cross, he was carried out of the city. Jesus on the cross became ultimately vulnerable, literally stripped down naked and exposed and humiliated. But Jesus, though he was the only one who deserved the banquet of God, the only one who earned a gracious welcome in God's presence, he was cast out. And Jesus, in his moment of agony, he cries out to God and he is forsaken. He doesn't get the family welcome. Jesus is vulnerable but has no safety. Why? So that we could be brought in. So that we could be brought into God's family. So that when we're vulnerable, we're safe because we're loved by God in Jesus Christ. We are seen to the bottom yet loved to the sky. And that's what we remember when we hold these elements that we can be safe in God's presence because God has both dealt with our sin and brought us into his family and given us a seat at his table. And you know what that does? If our center, if the thing that animates us is the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done for us, that transforms us to become a people that can show that welcome to others. Last quote I'll give you today before we come to the table. Christine Pohl, in her great book on Christian community, writing about this very subject, she says this, everyone wants to be at dinner (laughs) because if you miss that, you missed everything. It's here that we recognize Jesus in the breaking of bread. Eating together as in the Lord's Supper continually reenacts the center of the gospel as we remember the cost of our welcome. 
Christ's broken body and his shed blood. And as we remember, we are empowered to share that same welcome with those around us. She's absolutely right. We come to the table and what do we remember? We were welcomed by God through Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us. And when that truth gets to the center of your soul, what happens? We become a people that can show that welcome to others and live together as a family. May God help us to be such a church in and for our city and for God's glory. Let's pray as we come to the table. Our God, thank you so much for this time that we get to live out what it means to be a family. Thank you for the gift of worship. Thank you for the gift of friendship. Thank you for your word. And Lord, now we thank you for this table. And so be with us as we remember and celebrate and live off of the sacrifice of Jesus for us. May you do a powerful work in us and through us right now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.